If you will, please stand with me as we read God's Word to this church this morning, Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The Lord Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete In the sight of my God, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of Christ. And... It is true, and the Spirit of Christ is speaking this word to us as His people because He loves us. Let's be seated. Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6 is preaching to us this message. The dead can claim Christ, but the living Keep His Word. This is the Gospel truth, the sermon in one sentence. It is possible even for those who are dead spiritually to claim Christ, to think that they are in Christ, and yet it is only the living spiritually who keep His Word. This point will be made in five parts. The first part comes from verse 1, where we see Christ. This is the way that all the letters work. Christ writes a letter to a church, and He immediately gives him a vision of who He is. And, And what is key to us understanding what He is calling that church to is the vision of Himself that He presents. Here in verse 1, we get a vision of Christ holding or having the Spirit, and the Word. Christ reveals Himself as the one who has the Spirit and who has the Word. Look back in verse, or chapter 1 and verses 4 and 5 how the book of Revelation begins. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and also peace and grace from the seven spirits 
who are before his throne and also grace and peace from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. The letters in the Bible always begin like this with a greeting of blessing, of grace and of peace coming from God to his people. And we see that Revelation begins this way too. It is from the Father, the one who was and is and is to come, and from the seven spirits and from Jesus. In other words, the seven spirits is a reference to God the Spirit. The number seven refers to completeness. We know that because... God created the world in seven days. And ever since then, when we come to the number seven, it often symbolically is representing perfection or completeness. And so when we come in chapter three to Jesus, who has the seven spirits, those seven spirits are representing the complete spirit of God. Grace comes from God. The seven spirits that Jesus has is the Holy Spirit. But he also says that this letter is coming from the one who has the seven stars. And again, we go back to chapter 1 to figure out what the seven stars refers to. Look back in chapter 1, verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, Jesus says... And then go through that verse a little bit. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The messengers. The angels that Jesus has authority over. And that He's sending these letters to these churches through these angels. And so I think what he's saying to us in verse 1 is he is the one who has the Spirit, and he is the one who has the Word. He has all the stars, the angels who are bringing God's Word, all of His Word, all seven of them. Jesus is motivating the church in Sardis to be faithful to Him in this difficult world. And what they need to remember, according to verse 1, is that Jesus is the one who has the Spirit of God and the one who is the source of the Word of God. And so what we're expecting as we go through this letter is that what, what the, the church in Sardis needs to solve their problems, to become a faithful witness to Christ, what we need as a church, as we hear the Spirit speaking to us, in order to solve our problems, to be a faithful witness today, To Christ, we need the power of the Holy Spirit and we need the truth of God's Word. So point number two, Jesus comes and confronts this church. Verse one, he says they are dead. Here's the confrontation with the Lord Jesus about the church in Sardis is they are dead. But that's not the reputation they have. Sardis was a city that had a name. It had a name. It had a reputation. And the reputation of the city of Sardis was that it was rich 
And, and because the city of Sardis was rich, it was a target of thieves. The, the conquerors of the ancient world would target the city of Sardis because they wanted the riches in Sardis. But Sardis also had a reputation for security. One of the reasons that Sardis was so rich is because it kept its riches because it was very hard to rob. It was hard for thieves to get into the city of Sardis because the city sat on top of this high hill. And there were cliffs that came down from the city and they were very steep. And one of those cliffs in particular was, was basically perpendicular to the ground. It was sheer and it would be impossible to, to climb. For any army to get into that city would be impossible, at least from that side. And so they would, they would station all their soldiers around the other sides because they believed that God, in a sense, was protecting that other side that, was, that had the sheer rock face. And no one could get up there. So God was going to protect them there and, and they were going to protect every other side. And they were very successful for a really long time until Cyrus, the king of Persia, in 547 B.C., he figured out a way to get up that undefended wall. In the middle of the night, he did this. He had this exceptional rock climber. And the rock climber got into the city through that unprotected side and got the rest of the Persian army inside the city. And then about 300 years later, the city, after it recovered from the invasion of Persia, it had regained a lot of its wealth and regained all of its pride. And so they did the same thing again. They left this one side undefended, And again, thieves came in. The city had a name. The city had a reputation for being rich and for being secure. And by the time that John writes this letter, it was a poor city. And it was totally undefended. And Jesus comes in verse 1. And he says to the church, you need to learn from your city. He says, I know you. I know your works. I'm the one who walks within all the churches and I see everything that no one else sees and I know you've got a name of life. Literally, when it says you have a reputation for being alive, it's literally you have a name of life. Everyone says, you're the living church. That church is alive. And Jesus looks at it and he says, you are dead. No church ever wants to hear that. You are dead. And I want to say that no church ever wants to hear that from anyone. I'm not just talking about what the Lord Jesus would say if he were to evaluate us as a church or any church. No one wants any kind of reputation that it's dead. Every member of every church wants to go to a church that has a good name. A good name in that area. No one wants to go to a dead church. But listen, friends. People have different opinions of what is alive and what is dead. And that's the point in the church in Sardis. 
they have a reputation for being alive. They've got lots of people who think that they are alive, and that's where the Spirit is working. And we may have different definitions today of what a, whether a church is alive or not. What do you think of when you think of a church being alive? Some people say, my church is vibrant because we are bringing justice to the orphans. We are, we are really doing good work with widows, or we're, we're really active in the community. Another church, you can hear their members praise the church for being alive. You got to come to my church to see the Spirit at work. You got to be there for praise and worship. And what they mean is the music ministry of the church. Or others might say, my church is spiritually alive because the Bible is read here, and the Bible is prayed here, and sung here, and preached here. What we'll see in the letter to Sardis is the one who has the Spirit of God and who has all the heavenly messengers sending reports from him and also reporting back to him. This is someone who doesn't deal with reputations. Jesus deals in reality. And it doesn't matter what all the community is saying. He knows what is true. There are churches who can get people to call them alive, and Jesus says they are really dead. Every church has a reputation for something. The question for us this morning is, who do we want a reputation with? So important. Because we will all be tempted to be judging our real reputation from what the people out there have given us a name for. And that was exactly what was wrong with Sardis. They were content with being known, not just as a rich and secure city. They were content with having a reputation in that kind of worldly place, with being alive, even though the Lord Jesus sees them. And all he sees is death. The dead can claim Christ. The dead can actually claim Christ, but the living keep his word. So point number three, Jesus has a call to this church. Jesus in verses two and three calls the dead church to wake up. This is a a, a common image in the Bible where where God says those who are dead are asleep and they have, they have ignored and are, are not aware of the things that they should be giving attention to. They're not active in their life. They're not really living. They're asleep and they need to wake up. And Jesus says here that this church needs to strengthen what remains or else it will die. And that strengthening, if you look in verse 2... The strengthening seems to mean they need to complete works. That they had started to obey Jesus partially, but they haven't completed what he's actually called them to do. At least not in the sight of God. God is seeing things that are not just started. He wants them to be finished. And he's not happy with things that are not complete. He's not happy with your partial obedience. He's not happy with some people seeing us 
partially obey or start to obey. He wants completion and perfection. And verse 3 seems to explain how it is that they are to wake up and not be dead anymore. How it is that they are to complete the works that they have started. Notice there in verse 3, they need to remember the word that they received from God. And not just to think about it mentally, not just for it to pass through their mind, oh, I remember he said this thing, but he says you need to keep it. You actually need to obey it. The Lord Jesus who has the Spirit of God, the Lord Jesus who has the Word of God is the King. And He deserves to be obeyed. And what it means to be saved is raised from death spiritually and ignoring Him and living for Him. So He says, wake up and hear My Word and follow Me. Now, I think that this letter is the most difficult letter to kind of follow what what Jesus is saying and how to piece together each of the parts. But what I what I think is going on is we have a background uh, in Mark chapter eight, which we read earlier, a background to the situation or that informs what Sardis should be hearing. Back in Mark chapter 8, Jesus was instructing all of his disciples. That means a follower of Jesus, someone who hears his word and then obeys his word. He's instructing all of his disciples that in order to follow him who took a cross, they need to take up a cross. They need to be willing to die, to be shamed by this world, to have this world who values sin and who calls evil good, and who calls good evil, to die in their hands. To take the things that you cherish, and if Jesus says those things are evil, to die to them. You have to follow Him with a cross on your back. And He says, if you're not willing to follow Me, if you're not willing to face the shame of the world, if you're not willing to be unpopular in a world that values the wrong things, if you're not willing to take up a cross and the reputation of someone that the, the world hates, if you're not willing to be counted with those who the world thinks deserve to die, if you're not willing to, t- to have a name and a reputation of someone that the world does not respect and will withhold all its goods from you. If you try to save your life, if you're trying to live the good life and call yourself a Christian, you're going to lose everything. Any person who claims to follow Christ but refuses to take a cross, that person Jesus says, has denied him. Listen to me. You may be sitting there thinking, as long as I don't curse Jesus with my mouth, as long as I don't say that I follow Buddha, then I'm a Christian. And Jesus says, you don't have to deny me with your lips. You can deny me with your life. And if you will not carry a cross, then you are ashamed of me, and I will be ashamed of you. I will not defend you on the day of judgment. I will send you to hell. 
is what he said in Mark 8. And I think that's the background of what's going on in the church in Sardis. Jesus said this to Peter. He said it to Peter right after Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ. Because right after he did that, Jesus said, you're right. I am the Christ and I'm going to die on a cross and then be raised. And Jesus pulled him aside and rebuked him. And Jesus says, do not be ashamed of that, Peter, that I'm going to die on a cross. Because if you're ashamed that I die on a cross, you'll never take up a cross yourself. You will never die to the name that you can have in this world. And if you don't do that, then I will deny you before my Father. So when Jesus, in our passage, Revelation chapter 3, in verse 3, says, remember my words and keep my words. And then, end of verse 5, he says, I will confess your name before my Father if you remember my words. He said back in Mark 8, don't be ashamed of my words. He, I think he's rebuking Sardis for being like Peter. He's saying, you are saying that you're mine with your lips, but you are unwilling to confess me with your life. You are dead. And church, hear the Lord Jesus speak to us this morning by the Holy Spirit. He's saying you can claim to be a Christian and be dead. Whole churches can claim to be Christian and they're slumbering spiritually. They're not really alive. No matter how many people feel like there's all this energy and excitement, Jesus says they're dead because they're unwilling to keep, obey Christ's plain word when it costs them. If it costs them in this world and their name and they're unwilling to obey Christ, they're dead. All of the churches in the book of Revelation are facing threats either from the Romans or the Jews. And here it may be that the church in Sardis is too afraid to live boldly for Christ because of all the Jews in Sardis. They're famous in Sardis. They had a, a synagogue that they found was, uh, in, in, in archaeology, it's like the, the largest synagogue of Jews that, that, that they've ever found in the ancient world. There was bigger than a, a football field. It could be that they are unwilling to live boldly for Christ because of the pressure of the Jews. Well, listen, church, uh, a church can only get a good name with the Jews if you deny Christ. And they've got a good name in Sardis. They're alive. They're not boldly following Christ. They're not unashamedly confessing Christ or calling others to repent to Christ. And Jesus says to them here in his threat to them in verse 3, The Persians got in. The thieves got in at night. And they raided you when you were not expecting. And if you will not wake up, church, if you will not live for me, even though you think that you're secure in me, because other people tell you you're alive, I will come when you do not expect it, and I'm going to take everything from you. That's what a thief does. You're going to lose everything. I think Jesus is 
threatening the church in Sardis in his day to come at some point and, and punish the, that church in their day. And he probably does this before he comes back to certain churches who will not wake up and live. But he's certainly talking about the end whenever they will lose everything as well. And the question is, if he's saying this to dead people, how can they wake up? How can a dead church become alive? How can a dead person become alive? And here we're brought right back to the way that He reveals Himself and we see how merciful He is. He's saying, if you need power to live, I'm the one who sends the Spirit who makes people alive. If you need the power to live and you need the Word to remember and keep, I'm the one who holds all the words. So I'm giving it to you right now. If you are here, and you have claimed to be Christ, to, to belong to Christ, if you've claimed to be a Christian, if you've thought you've been safe with Christ, and you know honestly that you have been unwilling to obey Him whenever He tells you to do something you don't want to do, if you are here and you have refused to confess Him openly to someone because you know that that person can take something away from you. If you are here and you've called yourself a Christian, but you've been unwilling to die to your selfishness, you need to wake up because you are dead spiritually. And it doesn't matter how many people you surround yourself with who say you're fine in Christ. Christ can see you. He sees you perfectly. And He says you're dead. But if He is making you right now want life, want to wake up, He is the one who has life. You need to remember Jesus Christ. He also died. And He's alive. And He can take His death on the cross, His blood shed on the cross, and cover your sins, and then raise you from spiritual death to live if you will turn from your sins. And then follow Him. Every word that he says, not being ashamed of his word, but following him with a cross on your back. The dead can claim Christ, but the living keep his word. So point number four comes from verse four. And here Jesus, even this is so encouraging, even to the church in Sardis, he's got a commendation. He's got this encouragement to the church that a few of them have not soiled their garments. Verse 1, the church has the name of life. Literally, uh, the reputation for being alive is the name of life. But Jesus says that its name is actually death. In other words, its spiritual character is dead. Back in Exodus chapter 32, in that passage where God's people have just been rescued out of slavery in Egypt, and they're sitting at the bottom of the mountain. They're hearing God speak His Word. And they're getting impatient from Moses being up there hearing God's Word directly, and and He hasn't come down yet. They're, They're eager to worship God, the God who saved them. But they do so in a way that's that explicitly goes against something he said they should not do. He said, when you worship me, do not worship me like the world worships God. Don't make an idol. And they make this golden calf and worship the God who saved them the way that the world worships. 
And so, God sent Moses down from the mountain and told the people he was blotting their names out of the book of the living. The book of life is a membership directory. It's a list of names for the people that God is in saving relationship with. Verse 4, Jesus says, there are a few members of the church in Sardis whose names are in that book. Notice how he knows that, what they look like that's different from the rest. They have not soiled their garments. And therefore, because they haven't dirtied their garments, they will walk in clean garments, in white with Jesus. Because they have not soiled their garments in this life, they will be qualified and considered worthy in the life to come to walk in white with Jesus. What, what you will be experiencing forever in eternity is proven in how you follow Christ now. We see this week in and week out in these letters. He's saying, if you don't soil your garments now, that will be evidence that you will receive the white garments then. If you are a Christian, you should not get soil, the soil of this earth, on you. So if you're not the mother of a young boy, let me explain this image. I know I don't need to explain this to mothers of young boys. You already understand this perfectly. What it means to soil your garments is obvious to mothers of young boys because boys are famous for getting soil all over their Sunday best. Because soil is fun, right, Lucas? Soil is fun, and it's inviting to us. And if you roll around in it, you're going to have a good time. It's about getting the world on you. And Jesus says, spiritually, you should not play that way. And there are a few in Sardis who have not become like the world, who've not gotten the world's soil on them, who've not treated God's word the way the world does, who've not been embarrassed by Jesus the way the world is, who've not sought a reputation in this world and the things of this world the way that the world does. There are a few in there who are resisting that. They have remained white. They have remained pure. They have remained holy. They've rejected sin for Jesus. And when they have sinned, they're not sinless. When they have sinned, they've repented of their sin, confessed their sin, and been cleansed again by Jesus. And even though the world is condemning them, and they may be seen as the stuck-up people in the church or the holier-than-thou people within the church. Jesus is about to say, what the world condemns, I confess. Whoever the world condemns, I will confess. And that's what we should be living for. What encouragement. Here's, here's a word for us. Everyone wants to believe they're not Sardis. Everyone wants to believe they're not Sardis. Every church wants to believe they're not Sardis. Every church can point to other churches that are Sardis. What an encouragement from the Lord Jesus. There are a few in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. So if you have been in churches that were like Sardis, be encouraged that Jesus sees you. He sees those who are faithful to him. And he will treat 
you the way that you deserve to be treated in him. And let that be an encouragement to us as well, that when we see churches that we would consider to be dead, to recognize that Jesus is at work in those churches. And let us concern ourselves, one, that we not be Sardis as a church, but make sure that you are among the few. Make sure that you are among the few who have not soiled themselves with the world. That's what you should be concerned about, knowing that the whole church of Sardis thought they were clean in Christ, and most of them were wrong. Fifth and finally, we come to the consequence from the Lord Jesus in verse 5 and 6, the consequence for those who listen to the Lord Jesus in the letter to the church in Sardis is that they will be clothed in white. Inquiring minds want to know something, I am sure, from verses 5 and 6, and I want to address that right away. Verse 5, inquiring minds want to know if there are people whose name is in the book of life who Jesus will blot out. Are there people who have names written in the book of salvation who Jesus will go and blot out their name? The answer is no. Moving on to the rest of the letter. No, I'll I'll, I'll explain that a little more than that. Chapter 13. Look at chapter 13. This language is uh, used in other parts of Revelation. Chapter 13, verse 7. I'll just dip into the the context here. Verse 7. Also, it was allowed, the, uh, the beast was allowed to make war on the saints. The enemy of God was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. The beast conquers, uh, is, is, is allowed to make war and try to conquer them. And authority was given to the beast over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. The ones who dwell on earth, the soil dwellers, the worldly, will worship the enemy. And then he explains that in verse 8, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Everyone whose name was not written in that book is those who worship God's enemy. But everyone else, the implication is, whose name was written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain, will not worship Him. If your name is written down in that book of life, your name was written down there before the world was created. And your name was written down there to have all of your sins covered by the Lamb and have your spiritual death be raised to life by the Lamb who was slain, Christ on the cross and His resurrection. And when your name is written down there before the foundation of the world, it will never be taken off. It is only those who worship the beast whose name was, was not ever written in that book. Now, the, the, the country of Rome blotted out names of its citizens. It had a registry. It had a membership, a citizen list. And if you betrayed Caesar, your name would be written off, blotted out. And the Jews also had a book 
in the synagogue, a, a, a membership directory in their synagogue with a list of members whose names would be blotted out if they started following Christ, the Nazarene. The issue here, though, for Jesus is not whether he blouts, blots out names. He doesn't do that. It's that some seem... Some only seem to have the name of life. Some are told they have the name of life, but they are dead. That's what's going on in this letter. The question that Jesus is actually answering is, how can I know that I'm actually alive? That is what he says in verses 5 and 6. How can I know, not just by what they say, how can I know that I'm not just a Christian in name only, but that Jesus is actually going to confess my name before His Father. And Jesus says, you can know that only if you are conquering now and you conquer till the end. That's how you can know. That kind of person, I will never blot His name out of my book. And He never blots anyone out. But to know you're on that book, that's how you know. Only if you conquer now and live a life of conquering. Friends, this is not the message that is so popular in our day. Several years ago, I went to a funeral for the loved one of one of the members of our church. And the preacher stood up there to give comfort to the family. And he said, I know that you know so-and-so was not, he was kind of a hard person to deal with. But I also want you to know that I had a conversation with him before he died. And he told me, preacher, none of my family knew it. None of my friends would even believe it. But when I was a teenager, a preacher came and preached the gospel and I prayed the prayer to receive Christ. Now, my life never showed it. No one who knows me would know I was a Christian. No one would say that I was following Christ. And the preacher stood there and comforted the congregation the way I've heard in many funerals in this town. And he said, you need to know he's walking with Christ in heaven. He was saying that man's name was in the book of life just because he said the name of Christ as Savior. Beloved, don't believe it. God is the one who wears white because He's totally holy. He's totally pure. He's totally righteous. And Jesus is actually holding out to us, if you will conquer, you can wear white. In chapter 5, in a couple chapters, the whole, the message will go out to all the world, everyone in heaven, everyone on earth, and everyone under the earth, everyone alive, everyone dead, who is worthy to open the scroll of God's salvation and His judgment. And no one is worthy except for the Lamb who was slain, but who now stands. And Jesus is saying to us that you can be worthy like me. 
If you stand in me, if you've been washed clean by my blood, if my blood actually makes you righteous, if you will complete the works that God has given you, if you will remember the words that God says and keep them, then you will be like me. What a reward. Now, Redeemer Church has a mixed reputation. We have a mixed reputation. And I'm guessing we deserve the mixed reputation. To some degree, we probably deserve some of the bad things that people say about us. I've heard people say, your church is so legalistic. I've also heard people say, your church is the most loving church I've ever been to. Some people say that we're harsh as a church. And some say, no, they're not harsh. They just take God at His word. Who are we? What are we? The question we should be focusing on is who says? Who says? Who is taking our name upon their lips? What kind of name do we have from whom? And the gift that Jesus is offering to all who conquer is to have a name with God. Beloved, that's the only reputation you should be living for. That's the only one you want to confess you. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about you. What we should want is what Jesus is offering to us, to walk with Him in white, to be worthy in God's eyes, even if the world says you're unworthy. The world is going to say all who are in Christ are unworthy. And if you do what you have to do to get a worldly world to affirm you, you will not be worthy. You have to be condemned by this world to be confessed by Christ. Listen to me. I believe this world, I believe this city is much like Sardis. I believe this city is filled with Jews. I believe this city is filled with people who say they were born into this, into the Christian life, who say that they're Christians, who do not listen to Christ's word. And to be accepted by them, we will have to deny Christ. Beloved, this Christian community, like every community in the world, condemns what is alive as being dead. We want Christ on the day of judgment to say our name. He's with me. This church is with me. They're alive. How does that happen? This language just keeps coming up in Revelation. I'm turning to chapter 6, verse 9. Listen how this happens. How can we have a name that Christ speaks to His Father and that He's not ashamed of when He comes with His angels before His Father? When he opened the fifth seal, chapter 6, verse 9, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been killed for the word of God, slain, and for the witness that they had borne. It's the same language used of Christ. Again, we need to take up a cross like he did. They cried out, the ones who had been slain with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little while longer until the number of their 
fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. Who would go on and die as well? Redeemer Church, it is one thing to be a church where God's word is featured. Maybe that's part of our reputation as well. That God's word is a strong feature of our church. But that's not the kind of church we need to be, just to have that kind of name. We need to be a church. And I believe by God's grace and by his spirit, he's made us this kind of church where Christ's word is kept. The world confesses and defends those who Christ condemns. But Christ confesses who the world condemns. We need to be the kind of church where we risk whatever loss of respect the world will take from us. Where we risk the reputation of our loved ones. Where we do whatever it takes to obey God's word when it is hard. To keep his commands to our church when it costs us. And not be proud like Sardis. We've got this all figured out. We don't even have to worry about this one thing over here. That will, God will take care of that. They are spiritually asleep. And they're avoiding a cross. They're avoiding the world's condemnation. They are claiming Christ. But life is only found where God's word is kept. So let us be a church that pursues a name that will be on the lips of Jesus to his Father. The dead can claim Christ, but the living conquer, conquer. And the way we conquer is by confessing Christ to our cost and keeping his word till the very end. Father in heaven, we pray that you would make us a church like you have called us to be in this letter. Make us faithful, we pray. We can only do this by the power, Christ, of your spirit and with the leading of your word. Would you give it? Thank you for your mercy. We ask all this with hopes of walking with you in white and being called worthy like you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.